this morning, we're going to talk about why to read your Bible. And I can tell you right up front that handling it correctly is one really good reason. Again, I'll let Scripture speak for itself on this one. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Scripture is no trifle, no trinket, nothing to be taken lightly. Because when it's cut and pasted, when it's taken out of context, when it's misrepresented, when it's misinterpreted, the God of the universe is misrepresented. He can be made out to be saying things he's not trying to communicate with us. Look at what Paul follows this phrase with in the next verse. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. He goes on to give examples of two people uh, that are doing just that. He says that they have swerved from the truth and are upsetting the faith of some. I would not want the same things to be said of me. So it's important to handle God's word carefully and accurately. A few weeks ago, I went shooting uh, with my brothers-in-law. I've only been shooting a couple of times, but each time I go, I think about the power that I hold in my hands. The ranges I've been to have very strict rules about how to properly handle the guns so everyone is kept safe. How much more so should we take care with the Word of God? In the book of Hebrews, the author is warning people that people's hearts uh, won't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The author then tells the readers, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So yes, God's Word is powerful. We should approach it with care because the power it contains and the potential danger of leading people astray when we don't handle it correctly. But this is more answering a question of how to read the Bible than why to read the Bible. So to answer the question of why, we're going to look at three different questions. What is the Bible? What the Bible explicitly, or why the Bible explicitly says to read the Bible? And then why the Bible implicitly says to read the Bible? Kids, I am so glad that you are here with us. We've got in your bulletin a, a paper with lots of blanks to fill in. When I was a kid, what I loved to do was to try to guess uh, what went in the blanks. Uh, so feel free to like make your best guesses and see if you can fill in the right things in the blanks and stuff like that. That's something that I always love to do, and you guys are welcome to do that along with us. Uh, so we're starting off by looking at this question, what is the Bible? The Bible is made up of how many? 66, yes, 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament. 27 in the New Testament. It includes the literary genres of history, poetry, prophecy, law, and letters. The shortest book in the Bible uh, by original language word count would be Third John. Close. Third John. Then Second John. Then Philemon. And the longest book in the Bible is wrong. Not Psalms. The longest book in the Bible by original word count, yes, I'm using my little math nerdiness a little bit, is the book of Jeremiah. 
then Genesis, and then Psalms. So Jeremiah is actually longer, then Genesis, then Psalms. But really, First and Second Kings was actually written as one book. But there wasn't enough room on one scroll, so that's why it was kind of split up into part one, part two. Um, so really, Kings is the longest uh, by word count, if you put them together as they were originally intended. Then Chronicles, then Samuel, then Jeremiah, Genesis, and Psalms. Um, just a little nerdiness for you there. <laughs> it was written over, the Bible was written over a span of, anybody know? About 1,500 years. And it was penned by over, I'm just going to give you the number because the numbers kind of vacillate, but definitely it was written by over 30 authors from many different walks of life. We had kings, scribes, governors, shepherds, songwriters, peasants, fishermen, poets, a tax collector, a doctor. All these different people contributed to the work of Scripture. But all of that has one message. One message throughout all of Scripture. And boy, is it hard to boil down into a few words. Uh, and I wrestled with this, me and the elders, we kind of shot back and forth. What do you think about this? And kind of came up with God's loving pursuit of mankind for His glory. God's loving pursuit of mankind for his glory. Boy, is there a lot more in scripture um, than that. But that I see is a central message throughout all of scripture. In the book of Genesis, God creates the world. And then he says, let us make man in our image. In the Old Testament, we see God continually walking with his people. And in the New Testament, God sends Jesus, the perfect sacrifice an only bridge to a relationship with God. And the Bible ends in the book of Revelation with Jesus saying, I am coming soon. He's coming back to make all things right, to make all things new. Boy, I can't wait for that day. One message throughout the Bible. What does Scripture tell us when answering this question, what is the Bible? 1 Corinthians 2.13 says, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul kind of made a, a, a compound word out of the words for God and for breath. It's literally God-breathed, Scripture is. And first Peter, uh, in 2 Peter 1, it says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. So here's a, here's a blank for you. Um, whoops, I didn't put a slide for that. That's okay. Um, but the Bible is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. Yes, it's God's words, but it's one word altogether, one message. So that's a, that's a big blank for you to fill in there. The Bible is God's 
word. And here's how we put it in our doctrinal statement as a church. It says, We believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as being inspired by God and completely inerrant in the original writings and of supreme and final authority in faith and life. Let me just point out quickly a few things to you. There's, there's so much in this. Uh, it says inspired by God. So we make it really clear. This was not men's ideas, but this is God's word. This was all inspired by God. We also say that it's completely inerrant. Completely inerrant. God didn't make any mistakes. And then it says it's the supreme and final authority in faith and life. I love that we have the word Bible in our name as a church. Neighborhood Bible Church. Because this is the supreme and final authority. This is what we always come back to. You know, we can sit and have discussions about, well, I think God wants this, or I think that God is pointing this way. Okay, well, let's go back to Scripture, and what does Scripture say? Ooh, well, I don't like how Scripture puts that, or I don't like, you know, I, I, think, I think differently. Um, I'm sorry, but this is what Scripture says. And so this is what we're always going to come back to. So what is the Bible? It is God's Word. God's Word. So man, as you pick it up and read it, think about that. I'm holding God's Word. I'm reading God's Word. Let's continue on. And look at why the Bible explicitly says to read Scripture. The Bible's very clear on what Scripture is for. We just read uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what is Scripture for? It's, it's there to complete us. It's there to equip us. The verse right before it, it says that Scripture is profitable. For what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And boy, that's a sermon in and of itself, just getting into these different things that Scripture is for. But it's important just to point these out. Romans 15.4, so, so there's two of them, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So what else do we get from Scripture? We get instruction. We get encouragement. We get hope from Scripture. Psalm 19 gets into this a little bit more. I know it's small. If you want to flip over to Psalm 19, you're more than welcome to as well. But Psalm 19, David says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Good. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. 
Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Now there's so much here. Again, tons of stuff to just unpack and to look at and to dive into. But David uses uh, many different words to describe Scripture. Law, testimony, precepts, commandments, fear, rules. And these are all terms pointing to different aspects of the totality of Scripture. I love what this one uh, commentator said. He said, Together these terms show the practical purpose of revelation, to bring God's will to bear on the hearer and invoke intelligent reverence, well-founded trust, detailed obedience. So why does the Bible explicitly say to read Scripture? Well, it also says reverence, trust, obedience. One of the most uh, famous chapters of Scripture to go to when talking about the value of Scripture is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 uh, is is a, a literary marvel in and of itself. It's, it's an acrostic. And, and, and what David did in, in penning Psalm 119 is he took every single letter of the Hebrew alphabet and, and created a whole stanza where every single line started with that Hebrew letter. Um, so it starts with Aleph, then Beth, and, and, and it goes through. Uh, my, my, my Hebrew's a little rusty, but, but that first word is uh, Bameh. Uh, ba Bameh, uh, the second word, the, the first word in the second line is, uh, Bakol, Lavavka, uh, or Lavavha. Please, please, it's, it's been a little while since I've, uh, taken my Hebrew, but, um, but every single letter, uh, every single line starts with the same Hebrew letter. So you've got eight lines of, uh, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, eight lines of the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and, and, and on and on you go. Um, I've read through this uh, with middle school students uh, in one sitting out loud. I've, I've done this multiple times, and it's just so cool to sit and read through all 176 uh, verses of, of, of uh, Psalm... Uh, no, is that right? 170, 180, something like that. I think it's 176. Yeah, 176. So middle schoolers, high schoolers, does anyone remember what the whole theme of Psalm 119 is? Well, here, I'll, I'll, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a little snippet from each stanza of the acrostic and see if you can see the theme, okay? Just, just one little snippet from each stanza. Psalm 119, verse 1, it says, Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 9, it says, uh, guarding his, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Verse 20 says, My soul is consumed with longing for your rules. Verse 25, Graciously teach me your law. Verse 34, Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Verse 43, My hope is in your rules. Verse 52, When I think of your rules from old, I take comfort. Verse 59, I turn my feet to your testimonies. Starting to see a theme? Verse 69, With my whole heart I keep your precepts. Verse 77, your law is my delight. Verse 86, all your commandments are sure. Verse 93, I will never forget your precepts. 97, oh how I love your law. 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
114, I hope in your word. 127, I love your commandments above gold. 131, I long for your commandments. 137, right are your rules. 146, save me that I may observe your testimonies. 160, the sum of your word is truth. 162, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. And 176, the last verse, I do not forget your commandments. I know that was like a fire hose. Um, but can you guys see a theme? Yeah, there's, there's a very clear theme that, that David's going after. God's Word is profitable. It instructs. It guides. It gives hope. It gives help. To kind of take all this and, and try to sum it up, which again, like there's so much in Scripture, so how do you sum it up? But in, in a large, broad sense... The Bible says to read Scripture to know how to live. Over and over, Scripture points us to this. But, this can easily be misconstrued without a very important foundation. And that is that reading begins with lordship. Reading begins with lordship. The nature of your relationship with Jesus, or lack thereof, drastically impacts how you read the Bible. Based on what I just said, that the Bible tells us how to live, Scripture can be simplified to a thick instruction manual, a huge list of do's and don'ts. And though in some sense that is what it is, listen real carefully here, why you would pursue this information is drastically impacted by your relationship with Jesus. Drastically impacted. Um, going back to the whole idea of shooting. Uh, the first time uh, I went was with Jesse Ash. He's uh, been a policeman for a, a long, long time. And yes, there were lots and lots of rules. And had they been coming from a random person, I may have listened based on the expertise of that person, right? Sure, I might have paid attention. Okay, this person knows what they're talking about. Sure, I'll I'll listen to that. But because of my relationship with Jesse, the fact that I knew how much he loved me, cared about me, and wanted me to have the best time ever, I listened intently to every word that he said. See, when Christ becomes Lord... You have admitted that your way of living doesn't work. You are surrendering your right to be right and putting Christ in charge because you know that His way is better than your way. This is why David had such a love for God's law because he knew that God's Word would lead him to the best life possible. It is so important to come back to this as you read. That this is where everything started and why you're reading the Bible at all. Because you're wanting to live God's way and you need to know what that way is. Yes, you can read the Bible without Jesus as Lord of your life. But even simply looking at what Scripture says about the purpose of Scripture, we can see that we won't get all of what Scripture has to offer without Christ at the helm. 
Part of having Christ as Lord is having the Holy Spirit who helps us understand Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2, 14-16 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. See, the Holy Spirit helps us interpret and understand. So reading begins with lordship. So we've looked at why the Bible explicitly says to read Scripture. Now I want to wrap up with why the Bible implicitly says to read Scripture. Like I said, there's one message. God's loving pursuit of mankind for His glory. This is evidenced in a passage many of you looked at multiple times over the past couple of weeks. Luke 2.14. Here's what the angel said. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Glory to God. It is for His glory. All of life, all of creation, everything is for the glory of God. And the angels also said, peace among those with whom He is pleased. whom he is pleased. This is God's loving pursuit of us. So let me just give you why the Bible implicitly says to read Scripture so you can fill in that blank, and then uh, we'll talk about it a little bit. Relationship. God desires to have a relationship with us. That's the best, the absolute best that he can give us, which is himself. And you can see this desire and pursuit of relationship throughout all of Scripture. Now, let me be clear. He does not need a relationship with us. Acts 17, 24-27 says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. You see that relationship aspect? But God does not need this relationship with us. Uh, John Piper said it this way, God has no need for us to meet. No, he glorifies himself in meeting our needs. God desires a relationship with us. Look at what Ezekiel 14.5 says. Um, see, uh, in, in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel, the Israelites had been wandering, uh, had been worshiping these other idols. And God says this, God, God says, I want to deal with them directly. And he says, I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. God continually pursues. He continually comes after us. Even when we say, no thanks, God. I don't want any of this. No thanks, God. I've got my own idea of how to live. No thanks, God. I'm going to head in this direction. He continues to pursue. He continues to come after us. We see this in... uh, Adam and Eve, and, and, and how even though they failed, God still 
maintained a relationship with them. He, said, he didn't say, oh, well, these guys blew it, let's start over. You know, let's wipe them off and let's try again. No, no, no. He continued a relationship. I just read uh, through the story of Noah this morning. And, uh, you know, here again, God is continuing that relationship. In the book of Judges, there's, there's just forgiveness over and over and over as the people of Israel go and pursue idols and, and, and go and walk away from the law of the Lord. And God just continues to draw them back. And we just celebrated over Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. There's this song I love about a a man seeing cold birds outside on Christmas Eve, and he wants to save them. And part of the song says, Oh, but simple creatures seldom comprehend the ways of man. Sometimes love expressed is met with doubt and fear. He thought, if only I could fly among you, if I could make you understand, just for a moment walk beside you, I know it would all be clear. And that's exactly what God did for us. I want you to understand my love, so I'm going to come and I'm going to walk beside you. I am going to be with you. John 10 is just chock full of God's desire for a relationship with us. Let me just read a little bit of it. And I have you guys going back through it in your uh, small group questions. Um, But John 10, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Jesus said to them, again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. How can you know the good shepherd's voice if you don't have a relationship with him? The sheep only follow the voice they know. So if Christ is your Lord, you need to be able to know His voice to be able to follow Him. So why read your Bible? Because God wants the best for you. The absolute best. Which is Him. His way. And the only way to know what that is, is to dive in to His Word. To dive into His Word. Let me uh, end with just a, a few practical tips for you guys. First of all, have a goal in mind. Have a goal in mind. As you sit down to read Scripture, um, instead of, uh, what should I read today? Have, have some objective. I want to read through this, or I want to read through that, or whatever. 
There are so many resources online. Uh, apps for your phone, stuff like that. One that we talk about often is the Bible app um, or Bible.com. Um, but there are just, I'm clicking, there we go, there it is. Uh, it looks like that. Uh, but there are loads of different resources, loads of different reading plans to dive into. Maybe, maybe you're going to walk through a big chunk of scripture. Maybe you're going to say, you know what? I want to dive into one book. I would encourage you, man, the idea of just studying one book, reading the same book of the Bible every single day for a month or for two months really just allows you to immerse yourself in a portion of scripture. But maybe 2017 is the year that you say, you know what? I'm going to read through the entire Bible. Maybe you've never done that before, or maybe it's been a few years. I've never gotten to read through every single word of the Bible. Did you know if you read for about 15 minutes a day, you will be able to read through the whole Bible in a year? 15 minutes a day. That's it. Very achievable, very attainable. So have a goal in mind. The second practical tip in reading Scripture is to be accountable. Be accountable. Find someone you love and trust that you know will check up on your reading on a regular basis. And it's even better when they're reading the same thing as you so that you can go, hey, what, did you read today's reading? Yeah, I read it. Didn't you like chapter 7? Like, wasn't that cool to read it? Oh, I noticed this as I was reading through this. And to have the same things that you're reading and be able to bounce things off of each other back and forth. Every week we meet uh, for middle school group or for high school group Every student is asked if they're reading their Bible. So they know when they're showing up, they're going to be asked, hey, are you reading your Bible? And so it's been like amazing just to see students just grab on and say, yeah, I want to read. I want to learn more. And to hear them come back and say, yeah, I've been reading. I've been keeping up. I'm really, I'm really trying to do this. We've seen tremendous growth in their reading. Thirdly, check your mindset regularly. Check your mindset regularly. Maybe you, you find the Bible boring or you're reading it out of obligation. When you come back to your mindset, this will help with these issues. Ah, oh, man, you know, I'm going through Leviticus and trudging through, and, or I'm reading another genealogy. This is still God's Word. This is still the words that He has for you, that He has given to you. So when you draw back to your mindset, Lord, I want to know what you have for me. I want to hear what you're telling me today. I would encourage you to start each day with a prayer like this. Lord, I want to know you more. To know what you want for me. Help me know you deeper today as I read your word. Amen.